Hey friend, I'm Sarah Magdalena and you're listening to the Daydreaming Rose podcast in which I talk about things I love like radical self-healing, feminism, relationships, activism, plant friends and magic. Sometimes it's just me sharing my thoughts and sometimes I invite beautiful guest speakers for exciting interviews. You can subscribe on iTunes and check out my website daydreamingworlds.com as well as sarahmagdalenalove.com for all things web design and online marketing. Welcome everyone. I am so, so excited to have Melanie on my podcast today. I came across Melanie's work about one and a half years ago, I think, when I did a course on ancestral healing, which was really, gosh, I think it was for me a gateway into herbalism, really, because we did uh, look at herbalism at, from such a different perspective and we really kind of went deep into, you know, w what does it mean to have a connection with the plan? What does it mean for things like ancestral trauma? And these things just got the, geeky, the geekiness in me so excited that I just had to learn more. And interesting, shortly after that, I enrolled in the Herbal Academy. And things have just kind of exploded for me since. And it's, yeah, it's just so beautiful. I really loved her approach. And I then subscribed to her newsletter. And I've really enjoyed, you know, receiving these, these background stories, some of which have been so touching. I've just reread a couple of that you had written in the last couple of months and I had to cry about some of them and I think you just have um, such a beautiful way of sharing human experiences that we can all relate to on some level even if we haven't experienced exactly the same and so I just I just feel that the way you work with plants is really magical and beautiful and I'm so honored to have you here so that's my little emotional <laughs> intro oh. Melanie and I would love to invite you to say a few things about you know who you are where you are in the world right now and what you see as your mission and you know what what do you care most about in your work oh Sarah um <laughs> I, I love I love the emotional connection <laughs> introduction it's so it's so wonderful and makes me feel so at home um because I think you know so the secret the secret kind of at the heart of my work, my, my herbal practice is called Psyche and Soma. Mm -hmm. And I see that the ampersand and that, you know, that uniting and connecting of, mm -hmm. um, all of the parts of ourselves, yeah. um, as, as central to my work. But the real secret at the heart of it is that, um, I, I understand it as my duty to love the clients that come to me, the um, plants and creatures that come across my path, the parts of myself that I would prefer to reject and like, cast away. Um, and, and so I think even though there is a very strongly technical side to my practice. I, I work primarily in the Chinese um, herbal tradition, which is very brainy and a lot of pattern recognition and a lot of cross-referencing. And I work with a lot of people with complex cases who are taking lots of medications and, you know, thinking about all of these kinds of things. Mm. As important as this, the rational mind is and as important as um, knowledge and, you know, tradition, all this kind of stuff, 
I think the most important thing is, is love and presence. And so, um, it's so nice to start with that. It's just so nice to start with that. <laughs> yes, that's so true. And uh, rereading your about page also, I really have such deep appreciation for your um, openness to combine uh, traditional approaches, our conventional medicine with herbalism, because one of the things I really care about is breaking down the stigma and shame we often feel around mm. things like chronic illness or mental health. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so... It's sadly, I, I see sometimes in, in people who have really struggled with the medical system, a kind of hesitation to approach alternative approaches because sometimes, not always, but sometimes there is this idea that it can only be one or the other and, um, you know, convent or you know conventional medicine isn't to be trusted when actually there's just so much value in both these things and they just provide such different nurturing aspects so can you maybe speak to that a little bit more oh yes yes <laughs> well you know so I wouldn't I would have died I would never have been born and then have died multiple times if it weren't for conventional medicine yeah. um and so there's part of it I think is having been someone with chronic illnesses who um even even if I had I think the full range of of complementary medicine available to me from a young age, I have no doubt that it would have made a big difference. Also, if I hadn't been, you know, eating the, you know, 80s child diet of like Ritz crackers and canned green beans and cheese in a can and whatever crazy things we were all eating, fruit snacks, um, I have no doubt that that would have made a difference. And I also believe that, um, you know, I wouldn't have, I, I wouldn't have been able to make it without without conventional medicine and you know my mother is a registered nurse and a very very smart and excellent one um I was in a very long-term relationship with a physician for many years and really watched him go through the training with a, quite a, a lot of passion and compassion and an open heart and a sincere desire to help people just as sincere if not more so than a lot of what I see in the, or in the complementary medicine world um, and so I think um, it's just clear. It's just clear to me that as humans, we face some big challenges, you know, um, individually and collectively. And so we need all the tools. And so how silly to say, here's an entire realm of tools that I'm going to throw away or discount. And I think that I think that's true for people who have preconceived notions about complementary medicine, as well as sort of the you know, my, my crunchy, natural people who are afraid of physicians. And, yeah. and I do understand sometimes that, you know, there can be a trauma-based component to this because people have been um, really let down and, and hurt by um, conventional medicine. And I, I've, I've experienced that too. Um, and so it can, there is, there's an, there are some skills that we need to cultivate in order to know how to advocate for ourselves within that system, um, how to how to hold a provider at a little bit of arm's length until they, we've vetted them and feel like, okay, yes, like you, I'm going to bring you onto my, mm -hmm. my team. Um, but yeah, but I, I think it's very important. Um, I think it's very important to, to, weave the web with mm. all of those different pieces yeah totally I also really loved some something that you wrote about 
um, pain or challenges or difficult health situations as an initiation and it's something that I have I still find it a bit hard to put in the word, into words, so I'm just going to kind of make a start, but I'm sure you're going to have so many more beautiful words on that one. I just feel like there is um, this different tendency. So one tendency that I sometimes feel and feel a bit funny about is that the when we're pushing the idea too far that we're creating our experiences and that we're attracting certain things because we're not optimistic enough or because we're not open to forgiveness enough and I think that can be so painful for someone who has experienced real injustice. At the same time I think if we reject that completely there's kind of a disconnection from the fact that there that the mind-body connection is so undervalued in so many really dominant approaches right now and I think that is really deep healing and forgiveness. We just can force it and we have to as a first step and that's what I often see missing and what I have seen you speak so beautifully about is that that step of acknowledging the injustice and the pain and the real challenge in the human experience to then go but I also have choices and I really want to celebrate those can mm -hmm. you say a little bit more yes. about what you see as your in initiation maybe? yes well um the first thing is that I think I think that we have to, well, I feel compelled to speak out um, very strongly against this trend that um, that has been going on for quite some time, really sort of um, peaked in the United States, maybe in the, you know, early aughts around um, the secret and, you know, Oprah, like the secret, this, and it really, it is a kind of um, spiritual materialism, mm. by which I mean the idea that um, your state of spiritual progress will be reflected in your material wealth mm. and um, and physical beauty, um, mm. according to a very narrow standard yeah. of that, and um, and. And it is, it is an absolute perversion of any kind of genuine spiritual tradition. Um, and by perversion, I mean twisting, you know, a misshapenness. So at the heart, you know, underneath that twisting or misshapenness, of course, as you're saying, you know, there's, there's a tremendous value in the practice of forgiveness and in, um, in, taking responsibility for that which we can take responsibility for sometimes which will be limited to our um our thoughts and responses to really difficult things um and we also can remember that there are circumstances and people who cannot take responsibility for their thoughts you know that's that's not a guarantee either um so so there is something genuine there However, this belief that um, it's going to work like this one-to-one -one is, is totally wrong. So my, so my personal, the, for me, the initiation is like ongoing. I keep thinking that it's going to be done, but then like, you know, there's more. So I, so, and probably we have to always remember that because if we walked around knowing like, oh good, you, you graduated from grade three. Now you have, now soon will be grade six and it will be harder. You know, it would be too hard. Um, but my, my first experience of, um, 
you know, heal initiation through, through physical illness was when I was in high school, I, I had a bleeding disorder called ITP, um, idiopathic thrombocytopenia purpura. And basically it's an autoimmune illness where your body, um, your immune system starts attacking your platelet cells, which help your blood to clot. Um, and it's a very strange experience because, um, generally people don't feel at all unwell. You feel totally normal, but, um, someone touches your arm and then a bruise appears as if you had been, you know, beaten. Um, and the, the real danger of it is that at a certain, if your counts get low enough, you can have a spontaneous brain hemorrhage and just die for no reason. Um, but meanwhile, I was feeling totally fine. But that's so, so scary. Wow. Yeah. Yes. So talk about mind-body disconnect, you know. Um, so I was, for many months, getting these, you know, um, intravenous um, gamma globulin infusions and treatment. You know, this is Western medicine saving my life in an ongoing way for quite some time. And um, I, I went, it, it was summertime, by the, it was like July or something, and I, I went to this um, this camp, this like, um, Catholic social justice camp. I was raised Catholic. And, um, I, you know, I think at that point I was really questioning my faith and I was really iffy. Like there was a cool girl from my church was like going with it. Like I kind of wanted to go, but I wasn't sure. And then it sort of seemed like, oh, it's going to be a real pain in the butt, you know, like all the, we're going to be doing all this volunteering. It's going to be hard. And I don't know if I want to go. And, um, and, so I, for whatever reason, I, I did follow through and I go on this trip. And once I got there, um, I had, and, and it was always a question of like, am I going to have to leave and get a treatment and all this kind of thing. And um, a, a part of being there was being connected with people who were um, struggling with things that were so far beyond anything that I had to struggle with, uh, you know, as a person growing up, you know, white and in the middle class in the U S and with access to education and all these kinds of things. Um, and then another part of it was that there was a real deep spirituality that was present that I often couldn't find in church, you know, at that time in my life. And I had the experience one night of, um, journaling, and deeply, I, I can't even really put it into words. The best I can say is that I deeply accepted what was happening to me. Mm. And without drama, without it being an excuse to be special, and like without feeling like I'm being put upon and like I, you know, um, and, and I, I started to cry mm. and I felt this, just this deep release. And you know, the way that it works with this illness, it's not like I can say, oh, in that moment, my pain was gone or, you know, it was over. But but what I can say is that after that, um, my counts improved and I never needed another gamma globulin infusion. Wow. Yeah, wow. That's amazing. So, yeah, it, 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 it is and was. And so then fast forward to, you know, so that was grade three. Fast forward, I'm now in grade six, you know, some years later with a, a big flare-up of another autoimmune condition, um, getting sicker and sicker. And so, of course, I have the thought, 
oh, I know what to do now. I just have to accept this deeply and spiritually. Like, I'm going to just run this program like that I did before, and then I'm going to be healed. Like, it was a transaction. Like, I could order it off the menu, like a hamburger or something. And, of course, of course, this did not work. Um, and because for so many reasons, you know, probably many that I can't ever speak of, but I think this is, um, the kind of lesson that, um, that we will need as, as souls, Mm -hmm. if we are believing that, um, I just have to think positive or I just have to do fill in the blank thing. And then I get to order off the the menu from the universe precisely what I want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And it makes so much sense that this kind of thinking is coming out of the times that we're living in right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Do mm-hmm. you maybe want to tell us a little bit more about when you knew that herbalism would be your path? Because, you know, I know you've you've also done um, body work, you've been a massage, a massage therapist, and mm-hmm. you've also done a lot of art and creative projects. So come, with that experience in mind, when did you know this is what you wanted to do? Mm. Well, you know, it's always unfolding. I think I see it more like a braid of, you know, mm-hmm. multiple strands than like, than, than a, a fierce monogamy with herbal medicine. <laughs> it's more like a braid. Um, I, so, um, part of the, the, the call to herbal medicine had to do with um, being very sick and unable to access conventional health care in the U.S. Um, before the health care laws changed um, back in 2009 or whenever that happened. And, um, and, and then, you know, having always been drawn to the plants, but because it was such an outsider thing and because you know, we always had like books on, you know, like natural remedies in my house, but it was sort of like, you know, and my mom is a gardener. My mom's a plant person, but she's also just very like, um, you know, clearly, um, stakes her faith in the scientific tradition, which is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Um, and so I, I think it was really that, that crisis that I had that finally made me say, you know what? I, I give up, like, I have to, I, I want this, I'm going to follow it no matter how crazy it seems. And, and then kind of continuing on down the path and the, um, the, the, how good the learning felt, um, how good I felt when I had the experience of being at my first, you know, herbal seminar and getting sick with a sinus infection. And there's, you know, usnea, mm-hmm. like in all over the ground, like just the medicine exactly that I need is just right there. The, 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 the power of that experience mm-hmm. for someone who had, had been unable to access care mm-hmm. was very, very uh, impressive. Um, and then as I continued, you know, one of the things that was difficult for me when I was uh, doing most of my healing work as a body worker is that it could feel like um, my body was working so hard mm-hmm. to hold and contain what was present in the room for mm-hmm. this other person, and then also having to work so hard because even if someone could come once a week, you know, which is a best-case scenario usually, even if they could access once a week sessions, there's so many more hours that their body isn't getting support. Yeah. Um, 
and the herbs can be right with you mm-hmm. all the time. You know, it's much easier to get you know, consistent um, support to help shift. So it, it feels like a relief as, as someone doing healing work to have some some buddies to yeah. call on who can like be right there with the person with them. Um, and it doesn't have to all run through my, through my body. Yeah, that makes total sense. I, um, did a massage therapy training too, and I absolutely loved it, but I never worked as a therapist because, yeah, for the same reason, I, um, I think human interaction, especially in real life, um, can quite, can be quite draining for me as an introvert. And so the idea of like working in a studio where people would just come in and out and, um, (laughs) (laughs) that's a bit overwhelming. Um, but I, I cannot wait to go deeper into herbalism, um, myself and, um, what you're saying really speaks to me. I love plants so much. And I, I think there's also this component of care and encouraging people to, experiment with something that they can really hold and develop themselves I think that's been the greatest healing for me to be able with very limited means and like in my tiny kitchen to make my own overnight nettle tea for example yes yes absolutely loved it and it really heals that relationship um with trusting that care and um nurturing is available as well doesn't it because mm-hmm. what you just said about you know um the the trouble with the healthcare and i think you said you had experience not being able to access care there was like something really deep inside me going like ah oh, that's so i cannot believe that we are living in a world where some people cannot access the most basic care right now mm-hmm. it's just heartbreaking isn't it yeah Mm-hmm. yeah yes and you know it, it is and the 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 coda to that story is you know with the, the political changes happening here in the U.S. um the the most beautiful feeling was as as some of the immediate terror post-election mm-hmm. subsided for me um which you know it's I, I have come to a much greater appreciation of the the inherent balance between the you know right and left wing thinking and how vital actually it is all of these voices so I'm not trying to cast um everyone on the right wing aside um and um there's something very different about this this recent election here in the U.S. and the, as all of this rhetoric about tearing down these these very healthcare protections that may, that changed this for me and for so many others, um, and when when the, my fear and and anger and strong emotions subsided, what what happened was I remembered. I thought, oh, this is what I trained for. This is the moment that all of like for me and for all of the other people who are doing this work, who've never been able to take insurance anyway, who, who are on the front lines and who, you know, who will welcome everyone. Uh, You know, most people who do the kind of work that I do have some form of sliding scale consideration, you know, it, it is a, a balance to work with that, but most most of us have some way of doing that. And it's like, oh well, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't love that this is where we are, but mm-hmm. I actually have a role here, and I'm prepared. And having having that orientation toward 
a, a political challenge is so helpful. Um, that is really an antidote to that feeling of powerlessness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think also there's so much to learn for us as humans and especially as white people in building a relationship with plants because it's, I mean, maybe that's just my experience because I'm such an introvert, but I felt as I started working with plants that it felt like a, almost like a safer relationship to experiment with than with humans, if that makes mm. sense, because, mm. you know, I started asking these questions, like, what can I give back to the plant or to the environment? Why do we feel the way we feel about weeds? I think that's such a big question for me as a queer as well. You know, mm. why why do we project so much aggression on these plants who are really just mm. trying to mm. Mm-hmm. And why why are we discarding their bodies um, rather than when we could really be eating them? And so yes. one of the things that's really blowing my mind the most is um, that we have so many really fancy health foods right now, like chia seeds or like mm-hmm. are being flown like around the world at tremendous cost for the environment and for us. And, you know, we, can't, we don't really know under what kind of labor conditions they are being produced. And actually, we could really just harvest the nettles and dry them. Yes, <laughs> And yes. so that was... That was just kind of like a gateway for me to access activism and my political thinking in a different way because I think it's so easy to feel helpless and if you're a part of activist communities, at least for me, it can sometimes feel a bit overwhelming to be around that much anger because anger Mm -hmm. is really important and I treasure it so much but I think it can be really hard to transform it into um, an emotion or an action that is more fruitful and more maybe um sustainable in the long term and you know that's really not to say that I I think anger especially right now so has its place but how are we going to work with that and I think yeah so so working with plants at home like in my own time really gave me so much more insight and so much more sustenance I feel like I'm in this for my life now you know like the values Mm -hmm. I've always had as a politically conscious person I now believe that I get to live them for the rest of my life. And I think that plants have had such an important role in that. Yes. Well, and, you know, part of what I hear, in, I think, in, in what you're describing is this, um, this role that the plants can play for us um, as, as teachers who awaken metaphor within us. So there's, there is a whole story behind why there's a connection for you between queerness and weeds. Yeah. And, um, and I, I have heard other people um, who have, uh, you know, identities that have been marginalized to some degree or that, that seeing themselves as outsiders mm. identifying with weeds in a similar way, you know. And, um, and whatever it is, like, whatever the plant is that calls us like that, that awakens that metaphor, um, is part of what I think it does that's different than a human being is that the plant is speaking to you in a way that leaves you so much space Mm. to associate and to call forward your own knowing. Mm. When people teach us, they tend to teach us much more explicitly. Mm -hmm, Um, So I think that's really, that is a big part of the healing, even for people who um, are not working with the plants quite so directly and ingesting them or making medicine. 
Yeah. Do you have a favorite special plan that you feel like is part of your everyday life or that you always come back mm. to? Uh, you know, it changes for me. My my. But if I had to, if I had to have one favorite best friend, it would be Lobelia and Flava. Um, I just love Lobelia so much. I think. Um, I think it's. I think that. Partly, there's a whole fascinating history of Lobelia in American medicine. Mm -hmm. um, there was a, a gentleman named Samuel Thompson who basically had this whole, his entire practice was based on like Lobelia and cayenne. <laughs> and like that was it. And that was his Materia Medica. And that's what he did. And um, it's a very strange and interesting guy. And, you know, of course, there are a lot of indigenous use of Lobelia, but to me, I love Lobelia because, um, because first of all, um, she's a poison as we were sort of talking about this poison class. So, you know, there's that, there's, there's a way that when I, when I give Lobelia to people, um, I don't feel any fear anymore w w with her, with myself, but there's a way that I know that if people go on, you know, the internet, they're going to see like, this plant is toxic and, you know, they're going to see all that stuff and don't take this plant and, um, and, um, this sort of thing. And, 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 but when I can tell them, okay, here's, here's what she does and here's the experience it's like and here's how to slowly titrate your dose mm -hmm. so that you feel something happen and mm -hmm. if you go beyond what you need to have happen you might feel a little nauseous but <laughs> you know you're, you're not going to get sick and die like the worst thing that will happen is that your body's going to say too much and you're going to throw up um and and in fact there was a time when people would do that quite intentionally for a healing effect so you know um I think there's there's both the the incredible effect on the um central nervous system that she has that I think is so important for trauma for you know, muscular armoring for anxiety and, you know, um, grief stuck in the lungs. And um, the fact that she was called the thinking plant because the, the experience of working with Lobelia can feel that um, the plant is going to wherever in the body you need her to be. Um, which happens, my opinion is that happens because um, she's working deeply with the central nervous system. And so whatever your attention was telling you is bothering you will release and you'll feel it specifically there, though the effects are actually um, systemic. Um, so, you know, for all of these reasons, um, and then the fact that that you have to have a little bit of courage as a modern person to to. <laughs> to receive this medicine, you have to have just enough courage and enough trust, um, mm -hmm. to be willing to dare to take a toxic plant, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. I think hearing you speak, I also feel like I want to mention that I love so much how plants are facilitating us in really understanding our own needs in a deeper way. And then mm. also finding the language to express them and trusting ourselves in making these choices for our health and, mm -hmm. Yeah, like you said, especially if you start making your own medicine, I think that the intention itself is so powerful. Mm -hmm. When I started making my first tinctures, I really had no idea what I was doing, to be honest. And the framework that I kind of set for myself was, 
I'm only going to work with plants that are safe to ingest because that, you know, and I, I actually now feel like you, there's so much value in, in poisonous and air quotes mm -hmm. plants. Mm -hmm. But just as a beginning, I thought that would be um, like a good boundary for me. And, and my experience was just working with plants intuitively and making things up as I went along was just as valuable as having herbal consultations and again I think that's not a binary at all I think yeah. there's so much beauty in working with someone who really knows what they're doing and they know the plant constituents and you know and they know how it can maybe possibly counteract other medicine that you're taking but at the same time it was so cool to just give it a try and to um, go to the little Nia's yard shop which is you know my herbal shop in my area here mm -hmm. where they have behind the counters like a whole wall of dried herbs and it's it feels to me like a candy shop now yes <laughs> and I would just go with my empty glass jars and be like that looks really beautiful that plant speaks to me and yeah I think there's so much healing in that as well mm -hmm. Another yes. thing that I, I'm just like sharing the plant love. Another thing yes, that I, I really love, love in herbal communities and, and speaking to you is it feels like people who love plants have an experience of being human and being in relationship with other humans that really speaks to me. And I so, so what I mean practically, for example, is that I think a lot of people that have come to work with plants have and an experience or an understanding of trauma that is really inclusive and that kind of on many levels have understood that trauma is part of almost every person's life and it feels a bit big to say every person's about you know I do really feel that we um we are living through times that are traumatic on our body and our nervous system and our mind in a way and an example that comes to mind is where that, that I would understand like almost as an as a little gateway or an initiation to me was um one and a half years ago I had breast reduction surgery which I had wanted for a really long time I was um developing really big boobs quite early when I was 10 or 11 and it just got me so much unwanted intention and I attracted people you know yeah that were just really focused on them and it felt really sexualized and objectified for a long time and I think as an adult that was um it was easier to process but I think as a young teenager when you're just forming an identity it was really difficult to have the um resources and the understanding of you know what that meant and how I could have boundaries around that so anyway it has been a wish for a long time I really wanted that surgery and um tried to get it on my health insurance which didn't work and then I saved up and I did it in Prague because that's um in Eastern Europe, it's a lot cheaper, um, and that was how I was able to afford it. And the surgery went okay, but I developed really intense surgical side infections on both sides. So um, I'm going to show you on Skype now, but <laughs> listeners can see. So it's a, there were really big gapping holes in my scars, where the T, the two lines that were sewn together, kind of crossed. And yeah, that felt really scary and traumatic because it felt like my body was falling apart and I loved these new boobs so much. They were so light and I thought, oh my God, I might not be needing a bra anymore. And in a way, I was ecstatic, but also really scared because it would just not leave. And I think I had them in total for about two and a half months and I had to have four rounds of antibiotics. And I really think that the antibiotics were necessary because the infection spread so fast and... um. Yeah, I, I don't think, you know, I really see the value in that treatment. But at the same time, back then, I didn't feel empowered to really research what that meant for my body. I didn't know much about 
how I might need to kind of um, restore my gut health, for example, after having these treatments. And so, um, yeah, and after the fourth, so at the end of the fourth round of the antibiotic treatment, it still wasn't subsiding. It was still exactly the same as in the beginning. And so I got really frustrated and worried. And I thought, you know, I've, I've, I've tried everything I know to try. What am I going to do next? And I was in Portugal living on a little mountain at the time. And I contacted a local herbalist and said, you know, this is what's happened. And I had these four rounds of antibiotics and I'm just not sure what to do anymore. And she talked to me for about an hour on Skype. And we talked about my relationship to my body, what that surgery meant to me, how much I loved now not wearing a bra anymore, how it had felt like to be sexualized in that way at a very young age. And at the end of the call, she said, I think, Sarah, this is this is not about your disguise or the infection I think there's just more for you to explore there and I kind of surrendered into that I had a really big cry and spent the last the next week after that really just journaling about these early experiences and about what that meant for me and it healed and I stopped the antibiotics mm-hmm. and I healed then and you know I think there's there's many things that played into the healing in the end that that and definitely I think the antibiotics had a big um you know role in that and sometimes the effect shows up a little bit later and that might have been the case but I just think she recommended a couple of herbs for me and I I went to get them and I just felt again you know finally I felt again like there was something that I could do for myself and someone had really listened to me and had acknowledged my pain and my trauma and that was so powerful and mm-hmm. I think that was for me a moment where it's like, yeah, that's what mm-hmm. I want to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I think um, I, I I think that there you know there are different kinds of plant people. There are I know I know people who are there's like medicine makers mm-hmm. and um, uh, which is not me. I mean I can I can passively um, <laughs> make some medicines, but I'm that's not my gift. You know, so there are different versions of this, but I think one of the the pieces, what I hear in um, your experience with this other herbalist and the way that I practice, which I think partly for me um, is is that thread relating to art and theater and you know storytelling, is that um, you know story medicine is part of the herbal tradition too. And it's not immediately apparent exactly um, what the connection is between the, you know, the plant, the way the plants call to us and the story piece, except, you know, maybe there's something in that fact that plants teach us through metaphor and direct experience. And then maybe the fact that um, the way that a lot of this knowledge would have been preserved through generations would have had to do with stories um, that ran on seasonal cycles and that included the plants and information about how their use and how to identify them and um, that we remember things much, you know, storytelling is a technology for memory um, and for um, awakening things within ourselves. So I think, um, you know, this, this piece about the story, um, I think is very important for, and, and actually there's a movement within conventional medicine, you know, the idea of narrative medicine is, is present, you know, something that, um, physicians talk about now. So it's very, you know, it's so, 
So, so I, yeah, I, I don't know exactly where I'm going with that, but that's <laughs> what I hear. Yes, yes, that makes total sense, yeah. I, I always love to kind of give listeners something practical that they can take from an episode, and I was wondering what uh, actually there's there's several questions in this but just feel free to answer whichever you feel um you most want to talk about so one would be what do you wish everyone knew about herbalism and then the other would be what what do you advise someone who's kind of just starting out on that path who's maybe thinking about working with a herbalist and who's just kind of feeling into what the options are what they can do well um I think I think what I wish everyone knew is that um you know like we say about feminism there's not just feminism there are feminisms mm -hmm. um that there's not just herbalism there are herbalisms mm -hmm. and so whatever you are um There, there's there's a way to engage with this tradition that will nourish you. Mm. And, you know, for someone like my mom, that, you know, who really is not interested in um, using herbal medicine as a primary healing strategy for named, you know, diagnoses, um, that doesn't stop her from getting so much from being in the garden and from going to... And, you know, an herb shop where it's mostly culinary and sort of, you know, home decor mm -hmm. and smelling that, you know, and engaging that way. Or for someone who is very um, rational and scientific minded, there is an absolute explosion of research that is falling right within that, you know, double blind, placebo controlled, extract out the, you know, the quote unquote active constituent and test the crap out of it. Like there's a lot of that going on. Um, so you can learn and engage there. There's, um, and then there are so many traditions, you know, the, the beautiful thing about being alive at this troubled time in history and having the privilege of being, um, you know, somebody who has access to technology as you have, if you're listening to this show is that, um, you can learn from so many of the world's traditions, regardless of who you are, or where you were born, you know, for most of, for most of recorded history, I would not have been allowed to learn any of these traditions for the simple fact of being born a woman. Yeah. Now, then you add to that the fact of like, you know, the traditions that have been the most um, thoroughly preserved and passed down are outside of the Western tradition. And, you know, in languages that I don't speak from communities of which I was not born into. Mm -hmm. And yet my experience in China was one of absolute welcome and mm -hmm. sharing and, um, you know, generosity that mm -hmm. if you are willing, if regardless of, you know, your own racial, ethnic and community background, if you show up with humility and a desire to learn and practice, um, my experience has been so far universally that people will open their tradition generously to anyone who wants to learn. Um, and that is, that is a kind of wealth that, um, it just is staggering to, to think about. So I think, I think I just would like people to know that there's a way in and just to follow their own curiosity and follow your own interest. Um, 
And then as far as getting started, um, well, certainly if you'd like to come to my YouTube channel and watch my sort of foundations of herbal medicine series or listen to that, as long, we're still having technical problems, so it might just be listening for a while, but you're a podcast person, so you won't mind. So, so this, this is an, an option, um, but I think it really is just that, um, just following that small voice within you that whatever it is that it's saying like, oh, that's, that's cool. Or like, oh, what's, check that out. Or walking along and just uh, noticing a plant and like, oh, I wonder what is that plant? Or like, can I look it, look it up or, you know, get a field guide and, start finding the names and you know half of the plants that you see are going to be edible or medicinal Mm -hmm. um you know you're going to go on a mushroom hunt I mean like talk talk about amazing experiences so whatever it just follow follow your own um curiosity and and interest and don't feel that um there's one prescribed way to engage with this or that there's one tradition or that there's one right way um there's not there's Mm. there's so many ways and your own heart will um lead you to the one that's right for you and and if if you are if you are working with a diagnosis or an undiagnosed condition that is more serious than something that in the conventional medicine world you'd like run to the drugstore and get just an over-the-counter thing. Um, if, if that's your situation, I strongly recommend that you have a guide and that could be a primary care physician that you trust and then you do your herbal exploration and run things by them. That could be having an herbalist or acupuncturist, but the, there is, it's so important to get your hands in the medicine and to do it yourself and to be and have that direct connection. And, um, when you are really underneath something, um, even for me, you know, I, I have colleagues that I consult with because you cannot see yourself, um, from the outside. You don't want to, you want to be able to stay in the subjective experience. You don't want to be trying to be your own practitioner. Um, so, so I think I, I liked what you said about, um, Sarah, about when you first started, you had some boundaries, you know, that one boundary was like, I'm going to work with stuff that I know isn't gonna, I can't overdose on, you know? Um, I think another boundary that is really helpful that I would offer to people is I'm not going to go it alone if I really need help. Um, yeah. I'm not going to do that to myself. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think there's so much learning in just a process of acknowledging the need, being able to express it, and then finding the right person, maybe with some intuition in that, in that choice as well, that will yeah, be sure. able to meet that need. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're so welcome. (laughs) You are offering so many things and I would really love to hear a little bit more about that. So one thing as a web designer, interestingly, that I noticed you you have a relatively new website, I think. Yes. It's really beautiful. I love the colors. I mean, that's just the designer (laughs) speaking. I think it's really beautiful. And um, I also love your approach and how you're engaging with people because I had... um, 
sometimes what I do just out of, you know, professional interest is kind of screen a website and see where the priorities are, where people are being led, you know, how we're working with attention. And I noticed that you don't have very prominent social media icons. And you also spoke in one of your latest newsletters about kind of missing the way we were on Facebook a few years ago. And I totally agree with that. I feel like it's become so hectic. And as a small business owner, frankly, also just too expensive to um, have the exposure that we used to have just by sharing our content because we now just have to boost everything. And and also it just feels like such a loud environment. And, and it feels like that it sometimes feels like I would need to compromise my integrity and my values in order to stand out in that environment. And that's really a bit, it's something I'm thinking about a lot right now. And I'm, you know, I think this podcast has, is so close to my heart because it feels like so much more personal and there's so much beauty. You know, like we said before, uh, we went in this call, there's something so great about um, an audio transmission of information, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you maybe tell us a little bit more about how you know how you feel about that and what made you share is that the video series maybe what people can learn from that how they can connect with you and what you're offering as a service yeah so um thank you so much for your kind words about the website my my designer's name is Lori Barron um from come say hello.com and um it was a long journey to have this website ready because I was changing so much. Um, she was so patient with me. Um, and, you know, the feeling that I had is that, um, you know, Psyche and Soma is, is a world that exists outside of me. Um, my practice and I are, do, are not exactly the same. And so I wanted the website to be like a, a place, a home for that being, you know, of the work and that it, that it's like a, like a little grove where we can come and meet each other. And, um, Facebook is not a place like, you know, the, the spirit of my practice will like run away from Facebook, you know, and I want to run away from Facebook too myself. So it's not a great place for us anymore to meet. Um, and so, so the site, my my hope is to, I have quite a few free resources there. Um, I I like long, I like depth, you know, and and psyche and soma really likes depth. So you know, I know that not everybody is going to read my fairly long emails that I send, you know, with all of my deep, you know, yeah, but and and not everybody is going to um, come to this, you know, I'm I'm currently offering a free um, three-month-long Foundations of Herbal Medicine um, teaching series on YouTube. Which is so um, amazing. Can I just take that <laughs> in for a moment? I know you're putting so much heart and soul into this, and I know you know how much energy it can take to really step forward and get the technology right and share it and and be with the with the reality that might not always be perfect. There's so much in that, and so thank you so mm-hmm. much for doing that because I know you know, as you do, I care so much about this knowledge and this tradition and this work. And I just wish that access for everyone. And I think you're making such a big contribution with that video series to that. Oh, so thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Well, you know, it's, um, yeah, the te- it is, it is a challenge. Um, and, <laughs> and, um, you know, I think, I think that there's a sense that I've, I've had to go through, um, 
like you're saying, as a small business owner, I just had to say, you know what, I have to go all in for depth and meaning and, and connection and love. And it is not going to be for everybody. Um, and that's okay. Um, because there are other teachers who are snappy and like witty, like there are other people who are going to carry that part. And, um, I don't have to do it all myself. I just have to do the part that's given to me to do. Um, so, so yeah. And then, you know, the, 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 the way that I work at most of what I do is one-on-one herbal consulting. And the way that I work is that I have, there's a very clear doorway of how we begin. Mm-hmm. And, um, that is with an individual tongue reading. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's all, all the information about that is on my site. And what I've learned over the years is that it's very, it's really helpful because, um, by the time someone is willing to send a total stranger on the internet a picture of their tongue, <laughs> um, by the time someone is ready to do that, they're actually they're ready they're ready for healing. Yeah. Like it's a it's not an easy thing to do. It's like a really intimate and kind of scary thing to do. But um, and I didn't intend it this way, but um, but by the time people are ready to do that, they're they're really there's an initiation in it I think you know (laughs) like sending me their tongue photo and um and then that that gives us a chance um to meet one another um for me to understand what's going on with someone's body how they're caring for themselves do they have enough you know support from other healthcare providers is what I do the right thing that is going to help them get ethics we're going to cover this in the foundation series, but um, my great passion is for ethical practice within complementary medicine. I think, unfortunately, it is all too often something that um, is not emphasized enough in, in the programs where people are learning. And um, because the scarcity, because very real scarcity as well as a mindset relating to scarcity can exist for those of us who work in a, on the margin in some way. Um, that's actually something that can really corrupt um, us and our practice. And so the, the ethical guidelines are very important to me. So, so when I'm meeting with someone, um, you cannot, oh, I'm so sorry about that. Don't worry. Darned um, thing. I'm not used to being in a place where there's a landmine. <laughs> there's a landmine here. Um, so, you know, when when I meet with someone, I will only take that person on as a client if I feel that there is at least, you know, a seventy percent chance that we're going to make a significant amount of progress. And I always say here's what I think the minimum effective dose of herbal therapy Mm -hmm. is going to be. So, you know, it's going to, we need to work together for at least six weeks Mm -hmm. and this many sessions. And that's what we have to commit to. Because if I, if, if we just commit to two sessions, that we're not going to be able to get there, you know, like this is what we need. And then when we get to that point, six weeks from now, if it's not going well and you're not getting better, then you have to move on to the next step. Um, so I think having all of those boundaries and having that clear path um, is really important. So whether, 
even if I'm not the person that you resonate with, I think that it's really important, whether we're talking about conventional medicine, herbal medicine, acupuncture, ask your providers, what do you, I know you can't promise me, you know, I know there's always individual variation, but based on your best um, estimate, your, in your clinical experience, about how long do you think it's going to take for me to start seeing improvement? And at what point would we say that this treatment isn't effective mm. and I need to try something different? Yeah. Those boundaries in for yourself. Mm. Yeah, that, yeah, that sounds really great. <laughs> and where can people find you if they want to find out more? Yeah, so you can come to psycheandsoma.com. Um, if that sounds frightening to try to spell, um, you, can just, you can just Google me, um, Melanie St. Ors, the last name is S-T dot O-U-R-S, um, and you'll find Psyche and Soma that way. And um, certainly come on over to YouTube. My channel um, is easy to find if you just Google Melanie St. Ors and um, come and, and hang out with us for this next Months. I will definitely be there as well and I cannot wait for other episodes thank <laughs> you, thank you, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart this was really beautiful and I just have such a strong feeling that we um, yeah, we've shared really cool stuff, I loved your thoughts I loved hearing about your experiences and I really hope that we have inspired some people to try herbalism as well and I think just you know thinking about the now and the future it's so magical that we we're doing this now we're in this together but there will be people in the future engaging with this yes <laughs> with past us right now you're listening yes. <laughs> quite cool isn't it so thank you so much thank you thank you thank you so much Sarah I appreciate it thank you And now a final little note from me. If you enjoyed my podcast, I would really, really appreciate a review on iTunes. For new podcasts, this is a really important way to make sure that we're being found and to reach more people. So thank you so much for writing a review. And a reminder that if you're into plans and magic and ritual, you can sign up for my free ritual course on daydreamingwolves.com. Bye!